MFs, Matthew Walt here with a quick note in advance of today's recording with Abby Franklin. We had a great time with Abby. She's a fantastic human. She's got a lot of great stories, and we really enjoyed this episode. Unfortunately, we had some audio Wi-Fi connectivity issues, so the quality is not quite to our standard, but we wanted to air it all the same. We enjoyed it very much. So we thank you in advance for listening. We appreciate you as always, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the road real soon. MFs, welcome back. Episode 72, Hustle Like You Broke, Matthew Walt here. And I want to kick today off with a good old-fashioned hello from my brother Hamilton, who I'm happy to have on the bus with me today. Say something for us, brother Hamilton. Good evening. That's what it is. That's <laughs> what I wanted to hear. Balanced evening is that we're having today. That's Fantastic. right. We haven't had any balance since you've been gone. Gone is definitely, uh, definitely could use some balance from Brother Hamilton. We got him on the bus. You just heard Sister Dallas. What's going on, Dallas? Another beautiful day in the good old 305. The sun is bright. It's shining. It feels like summer already, but it's not. How are the mangoes? How are the mangoes? The mangoes are looking fly. They are hanging off the trees. They are, if you're into, um, it's really nice to have unripened mangoes if you know how to like properly do them. So the that's hanging low, huh? Okay. The mangoes are hanging, and the loganberries are out. The, I mean, not the loganberries. The um, what's it called? The lychees, all kinds of the rambutans. It's looking good. So you know, you're picking off your neighbor's trees. Maybe it sounds in the dark. refreshing. Sounds refreshing. It's very refreshing. It's very nice. And and when is mango season? Just so we know. So it depends on how wet we've been, but this is definitely the beginning parts of it. And it's moving. It's more a little bit later May, any day now, because there's so many varieties. There's something like 3,000 varieties of mangoes, but there's predominant ones. So, um, but it's good. It's time now to start watching them ripen, and then they get that beautiful red, yellow tint. It's quite delicious. Brother Hamilton's enjoying this. The subtext is vicious. <laughs> Copy that. Well, we're just going to jump right in today. I'm going to leave that alone. Brother Banks is unfortunately not with us today. You know, we usually He's jump in out. and we, we start talking about our festival watch. I think we can actually retire the festival watch. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're going to keep a lookout for Lala. Where it is, we're going to hear by the end of the month, the city of Chicago wants to wait. They want to be cautious. I respect that. But word on the street, Lala's happening. Can't confirm nor deny. No one will go on record. Word on the street, though, is that Lala's happening. Of course, we know by now, Kyle, are you ready to acknowledge that Coachella is not happening this fall? Coachella's coming back (laughs) because California is dropping the mandate of masks on June 15th. Uh, It's happening. I'm pretty sure we actually know that Coachella's not happening, but I understand. They're going to do Coachella like a pop-up show. See what people I think don't understand. It with the Ohana Festival is happening in late September in that part of the world. It's going to definitely show up like a pop up. They're going to sell even more tickets because it's going to be like, hmm, it's, it's a marketing ploy. It's canceled. 
uncanceled. Guaranteed. See what's happening here, people. What's happening? Our listeners know that Kyle, Chris, and I have a bet that Kyle owes us dinner and bottles of 1942. If Coachella doesn't happen, he knows it's not going to happen. He actually went so far as to skip out on connecting with me when I was in L.A. last week. Because he didn't want to have to deal with the possibility of paying for my meal. Get Skip that shit. Out. First of all, this? I don't I run saw from any bet. I don't run from any bet. I saw Brother Simon. And Brother Banks isn't here. I am today. <laughs> uh, he's been making a lot of change recently. And so when you missed me last week, I was in change mode making monies. Uh, getting ready for some upcoming dates with uh, with 100% occupancy. Um, so at the end of the day, when this pop-up show happens in mid-October, you're going to be paying me, both you and Banks, and then together Dallas and I will enjoy a nice... You understand like a small pop-up show in Coachella are not necessarily the same. Again, There's no make twisting it, the right rule. Now, it's all about, Either Coachella all about the shock and they're not going to talk, but they're going to make it pop, and they're going to pay everybody, and it's going to be a sold-out event. Guaranteed. Okay. Are you willing to double down on that? Yes. Okay. On record, the Lakers, the Lakers, banner, the, the Lakers uh, banner went up yesterday. Masks are coming off. Everything is changing. It's like it's light switches turn on, and the world is back open overnight. So, again, they're going to make all of this money. They're not going to leave any money on the table. Okay, so again, for the record, you are doubling down. I will notify Brother Banks that's two bottles of the 42 each. That's two meals apiece if we, will we go are to the right, palms. which of we course we are. Palms. We would go to the Palms. The Palms. Fancy. That's a, that's a nice restaurant. Okay. If I okay. lose. And if we win, Dallas and I are going to wear you and Banks out. <laughs> I mean, I will take that because I know there is zero chance in the world that you will win. But the bigger the bigger the ditch you want to dig, the, the happier I'm. Bigger the what? So that was a little ditch. Okay. You're digging a okay. ditch. Yeah, you yeah. got a little. You're already out. trying to dig your way out with pop up show as if that's the I'm same. Going to pop thing. up, watch it pop, guaranteed. Okay. Okay, okay, moving on. We got a guest here today. We got listeners that don't need to be bored by your starry old tale about Coachella that everybody knows ain't going to happen. And change the station. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the reason I say I think it's safe to move on from the festival watch is, let's be honest, tours are announcing left and right. The majority of banners, not surprisingly... Our, our country, uh, but we but Fish just announced they were going on tour. They are going to be playing the Forum, I believe it's in October. That is for anyone that's not clear, an indoor venue. Ricky Martin and Enrique Iglesias doing a full blown arena tour all fall. Just saw that announcement. So, you know, I, I, I'm willing to acknowledge that the world is opening up in in my home state. We'll, we'll remember our friends Larry and Beth from the Boston Red Sox. They've got a full lineup of shows starting in August. August 1 is when things reopen in Boston. The the mayor wanted to push it back three weeks. She's since backpedaled off of that. August 1, Guns N' Roses, Zach Brown Band, whole slate of major shows. I can't wait for that. Of course, I'm hoping to see Dallas at Rolling Loud a couple weeks 
beforehand, assuming she's going to be working. Uh, but again, the world seems to be opening up. Vax Live just happened a couple of weeks ago. 30,000 healthcare workers packed into SoFi Stadium. Granted, every one of them has been fully vaccinated. Nevertheless, to be standing in a crowd of 30,000 sounds fucking awesome to me. I was talking 70, to my 000. insurance. 70,000 is the Canelo fight. Oh, really? Well, I was talking to my insurance agent the other day, and he's telling me, he's like, dude, COVID's over. He's like, it's it's done. Over. I, I'm, I'm, is there anybody else experiencing a little, like, COVID PTSD already? Like, you no. see people without a mask, and you're like, ah, Trumper, put a mask on. 70,000 at the Canelo fight. Not one had a mask on at Dallas Stadium. <sighs> it's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm Embrace talking it. about. Coachella. Yeah, we'll see. Meanwhile, on the other side of the spectrum, of course, is the Tokyo Olympics, which is still on. There's still no word on participation. There's a growing number of athletes saying they might not show up. Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal, Steph Curry said they might not play. Depending on the way things go, there are entire municipalities across Japan that were supposed to be hoping hosting athletes for pre-Olympic trials that are now saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't come. We don't want you here. Only 2.8% of the Japanese population has been vaccinated this time. 2.8%. So their cases have been down going back to the beginning, but 2.8% is a really fucking bad number for anybody that isn't a math major out there. 2.8%. So this is, of course, the fear that a lot of us have. I mean, this is the parallel, right, with the, the Olympics and the concert industry is this fear that even things that are announced could go away. And remember, we had that conversation with the insurance specialist, Brent Doherty, a few weeks back. And anybody out there who hasn't listened, check it out. There's a lot of valuable information. And one thing he did say, we talked about the fact that if the Tokyo Olympics goes away and insurance suits are filed because the Olympics does have, you know, pandemic uh, insurance or something like that, something like, what was it? Six of the nine subsidiaries or underwriters affiliated with Lloyd's of London go bankrupt. And what does that mean for concert? industry insurance. It's already more expensive to get insurance in the music industry moving forward. I have a client who was due for renewal, had stripped away a lot of their coverage going into the pandemic in order to save money. Well, now they're finding that was a bad decision because it's going to cost them in the long run because nobody wants to insure them going forward. The one company they got a a premium offer from, it was substantially more than they were paying before. So what happens if there's less carriers out there? What happens if there's less underwriters to actually write these policies for people? Those policies go up. So we'll see long-term what the effect is on us. Nevertheless, the Event Safety Alliance released a reopening checklist this past week in coordination with NEVA. They called it Safe in Sound. And what I'm starting to see is COVID protocols and COVID writers being prepared by artists that are planning to go on tour. So I actually invited our friend Stu Burke, 
who has two clients with COVID riders to join us today. He couldn't join us today, so he's going to be with us next week. So tune in next week and we'll hear from Stu to tell us about COVID protocols in what is not really a post-COVID world, but as businesses reopen, as tours come about, considerations that need to be made, we'll see what that means. Any comments? Sister Dallas, Brother Hamilton, before we bring out today's guest. I am curious about something is that I'm not hearing how we as touring personnel are going to be protected. Insurance, no insurance, anything like that. I mean, I think having no federal mandates per se, as we cover, you know, as we travel through different municipalities, like how do we protect ourselves and how can we know that the local venue is caring about their local staff and they're putting all the right implements in place and making sure stuff is sanitized and everybody's hands are washed. And, you know, granted, we're lucky enough to be in this country. We're lucky enough to have the opportunity to be vaccinated and we are making our way through what we have a third of the population vaccinated, but that's still not just the final solution. I mean, it's still active. If these mutations happen, um, you know, we got issues there and, I want to be all positive and all glowing because, yes, I want to make some money and I want to see my brothers and sisters who work in this business make some money. But, um, you know, it's still a question. I'm not hearing anything about, oh, yeah, you know, this is what Live Nation is saying or AEG is saying. I mean, where, who's going go to be that authority? What, but doesn't that go back to what you just said? I mean, protect yourself. So sure. the vaccine is protecting yourself, you know, doing doing what you need to do to protect yourself. So as long okay, as you now- Now, wait a second. Let me jump in there because I got to say this. Okay, I just read a headline this morning. We're recording on the 13th. I really don't want to open this can of worms and have it turn into a thing. But seven players on the New York Yankees who have been vaccinated tested positive for COVID this week. None of them have been hospitalized. All six of the seven are asymptomatic. But that does mean one of them is showing symptoms and seven of them have tested positive in spite of being vaccinated, which means, again, we're not out of the woods. We do need to protect ourselves. We're protecting ourselves means even if there's no mask mandate, do we need to be wearing masks? Eighty five percent of the team was vaccinated and yet seven of the players still tested positive this week. No I think that's significant. Any of that. Even if you got the vaccine and the shit kill you, okay, it's tough luck. That's what they say. You take it at your own risk. So I mean, they don't even talk about the flu shot anymore. The twenty twenty one flu is a COVID back is a COVID. You don't even talk about flu anymore. Flu shots are a wrap. You that's that's out of here. It's vaccine, vaccine, uh, vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. So Kyle's like, just baiting us, everybody. No, Kyle's baiting, baiting us like he does. If you do a damn video, you take the vaccine, it kills you. Well, you knew what the risk. And you don't take the vaccine, it's this or that. Like, okay. come on, what are you going to do? I was referring to people that get COVID when they've been vaccinated. Not okay. that the vaccine itself is I'm killing saying, people. I'm, I'm not that's one of those kidding. things I'm, that, I'm that skeptics like to say. There's no cure a, for nothing. It's just what it is. There's no cure for the common cold. There is no, uh, there is no hundred percent certainties. They've right, said that then. the so vaccine you got, you got is maybe ninety six percent safe. That does mean four percent of the population can still come up positive. Yeah. The good news is none of them, and to my knowledge, are dying. That's the good they news. Have. So, so you, we're going to keep just, going. The COVID is we're going to move on. We're seven, not going to talk about this anymore. I wanted to. I just want to say Dallas. 
You actually <laughs> did say the operative thing. It's the lack of federal response and the lack of consistency, which is the issue. And it's the reason that Live Nation does not have an official response. It's the it's reason the that AG does not have an resp- official response. Clean. That's blah, blah, blah. Still talking. Okay, why, why are they talking about what you should do now? Wash it. You should have been washing your fucking hands. You should have been wiping shit down after random people touch things. This is not okay. nothing Okay, new. we get it, Kyle. To all our listeners out there, go back and listen to episode one. Kyle is still saying the same fucking thing. I, we agree with you. We also evolve in terms of right. the way we, we absorb have, information we have a, we and the things a, we've we, learned in the last year. Anyway, yes, wash your damn hands, wear a fucking mask, all that shit. And without further ado, Good unless evening. you got something else, <laughs> one more time. Good evening. Thank you. <laughs> Today's guest, I have in my notes, and I don't know if this was given to us by Dallas or by tech support. I have her title listed as Backstage Wardrobe Badass. <laughs> that might have been me. That might have been me. Had to have been Christine. So Abby Franklin comes to us by way of a little town in Louisiana, home to Jerry Lee Lewis, among others. Now resides in Nashville. She's worked with a crazy list of artists. We're talking as up close and personal as can be. We have not covered wardrobe on this show yet, I don't believe. We have not even covered backstage, beyond the fact that, of course, Dallas has some experience as a backstage specialist and knows a thing or two. But today's guest has been up close and personal with the likes of Prince, Michael Jackson, John Bon Jovi, not John Bon Jovi. Yes, John Bon Jovi, I see that. Eddie Van Halen, Motley Crue, Smashing Pumpkins, Madonna, Drake, Phil Collins, Jonas Brothers. This list goes on and on and on. I'm only on page three. There's fucking like 17 pages of artists on this. I'm just going to not even listen to it anymore. But she is. We're happy to have you on the program. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't thank even know you. I'm going with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know where you're going either, but I'm very flattered and a little embarrassed. But it. I've been in the business a long time to accumulate that long of a list as well. You know, 20 something years. I don't want to give away my age or anything. But yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Abby started in the business when she was four years old. She is in her <laughs> mid-20s now. She looks fantastic. Oh, and so yeah. I... <laughs> So talk to us. You started, you, I, I, you told us before you came on the program that you're from a small town in Louisiana, home of Jerry Lee Lewis, among others. That in and of itself has some significance, I suppose. But it does beg the question, how does one make that trip from small town Louisiana to sewing the crotch of somebody like Prince? I mean, talk to us. Um, gosh. So the story I was telling you guys, um, from Faraday, Louisiana, home of... Jerry Lee Lewis, Mickey Gilly, and Jimmy Swaggart, who are cousins, which is weird into itself. But went to a urban cowboy concert in the 70s with my dad and saw backstage life of a concert in the 70s, and it kind of stuck in my head. And it uh, was always something I was interested in was music. Even in high school, if we had a book report, I did a book report on John Lennon, read his autobiography, and did a book report on that. Um, 
I didn't do anything in college. I've noticed so many people got it started in music in college. I started with MTV um, and a TV show called Sandblast. I don't know if you ever remember that. It was like American Gladiators on a beach. And yeah, sounds cool. It, I mean, it was it was different. But anyway, um, I was audience coordinator or something like that. Um, I helped check in audience members. And the band or the security that was provided backstage was done by a band called Tabitha Secret, which became Matchbox 20. And so I kind of met those guys, got involved in the music scene in Orlando, eventually got a job at House of Blues in Orlando as the green room girl, is what the title was. We just did writers, helped with production, whatever we needed to do backstage for the artists. Um, from there, I met a local band and they said if they ever made it famous, they would take me on the road with them. And I was like, all right, cool, I'm gonna hold you to that. And a year later, and I think they had probably sold 7 million albums in that year, um, I reminded them, like, hey guys, you're gonna take me on the road. And they did, and that was kind of the start of the whole music world. 20-something years later, or 20-something years ago. And are you at liberty to share the name of that band? Oh, yeah, because everybody loves them. It was Creed, of course, you know, getting Scott Stepp leather pants and tank tops ready for the show. He's the first person's crotch I ever had to sew. And that happened live. Um, I, I couldn't sew it live, but, yeah, his crotch split wide open um, live on TV, and we had to tape it back together well i always knew <laughs> that there had to be some reason creed offered value to the world and now i do it's to bring you abby here <laughs> to us to our audience and and that is good enough for me oh my <laughs> well thank you <laughs> so you're on tour with creed that leads to prince that leads to this then the other were you a backstage coordinator from the beginning what was your role so i think 20 years ago i don't think backstage coordinator really was a position wardrobe was barely even a thing um in the rock world we decorated the dressing rooms for the artists we got their clothes ready um we were basically everything rolled into one um the Drake camp gave me the nickname tour mom. And I think that's kind of the best explanation for it. You're just there to make sure they have what they need to have a good show, um, get everything ready for them and help make their environment comfortable. So, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, let's just give a little more definition to what this means for our listeners out there who don't actually know. If you're not on a major tour, and this really only happens at a certain level once you reach an amphitheater arena level you know etc that there are very few roles on tour that bring a person in such close contact with talent and not just not just talking about sewing up a crotch i'm saying as the backstage coordinator you're personally responsible for the artist's comfort in in what is an otherwise a very cold and unappealing you know 
bowel of an arena, a, a locker room that otherwise smells like hockey gear and jock straps. And, and, and it is yeah. your job to actually make them feel great. That actually gets them ready to do their job. That makes them, you know, excited to work every day. So I feel like um, Christine and I both doing this work for bigger artists. They're the ones that have the money to go out there and hire someone who's going to take the bland locker room and turn it into their home and turn it consistently into their home. For many of the artists, we carry our own pipe and drape. They carry their own furniture. Um, I know for one of my artists, I would put a desk in. We have our own barber shop. We have our own wardrobe room. We have their own gym. You have... Um, I've had one that had to have a dance studio in every place. I've had one that's you know, I have to have the room for their children, separate room for their children. Um, we could have up to a list of 27 rooms that are needed to accommodate everyone on tour that you have to make nicer than your average office or average locker room. And I mean, we've had a, a semi and a half of furniture and just stuff that we carry around and fly around the world for these different artists. But it's not everyone. I feel like there's still the artists who just have a tapestry hung up over the pipe and drape and they still use dressing room furniture that is provided by the venue. And those people are just as important to making the band happy as the ones like Christine and I who carry around, you know, half a furniture store with us and make everybody feel like they're sitting in the same room every venue, no matter what city. I have a question. Go for it. How come we never have core crew rooms? You know, we, we only have we only have rooms. Had to like, go there already. Oh <laughs> no, it's this. the it's core fun. crew. You know, the it's people. Actually, you know, we don't. We never have our core crew room is like we go to the production office. Get out of my office. So, okay. who do you consider so core crew? Like the LD front of house monitor, anybody who's a core. Now wait a second. Let me let me let me make sure that <laughs> I'm clear we, that we, we understand lot. what you're asking. Hold on. I think is what Hold on. Yeah, exactly. This cool. is what I, I want to understand. So cool. I do know when we toured together, there was a crew room, but no, no it, it was, was the, not the white I'm a glover I'm a, core I'm a, crew. I'm a glorified band member, so I go oh. into the band dress room ninety percent of the time, and that's what most core. Core crew members do is go into the band's room or into yeah, but, the management but room. But sometimes we don't want to be in there because you know they're just doing their thing. But we go right. to the production office, get out of here, you're in our way. Okay, so how come we can't get a core crew? Look, I'll be honest with you, I don't even have crew room. Um, I have I know, I know, that's bad. I should be looking out for the crew more, but I don't have enough room for the artists and the entourage and the special guests and all the other people and the girlfriend that's coming in and she needs to have a party and they don't have anything to do with the show. And I 100% agree with you that they shouldn't take precedent over the crew, but they do. See, I'm not even knocking the crew room. I'm just saying the crew room, they need it because they need to relax. But the core crew, you know, we need some love too. Some love it. <laughs> Dallas, what do you think about that? Because I've toured with you a lot. And you all tell me, get out of these rooms. Why don't get you out. go sit? Because we run out of real estate, sadly. Yeah. It's like Abby said. Exactly. I mean, there's a finite amount of rooms and there's always bigger egos that we have to take care of and other things that we have to do. And sadly, I mean, believe me, there's nothing that I'd like to do more than be able to provide crew rooms, <laughs> core crew rooms for 
all those hardworking people to make the show happen. But, you know, there's also the bus, that thing that a lot of people yes. don't like us. Like Abby and I never get to go to the bus except at night when it's about to roll down the road. But, you know, some people do have the opportunity to go to the bus and that's kind of like a nice room for them to go to. But believe me, I wish we could provide more space. I mean, why don't you turn the most places have a VIP lounge and, you know, you use that during the day until I mean, everybody shows up. At the end of the day, but I'm just curious as to, you know, what, what all these rooms being allocated at 8 a.m. Oh, I do it at usually 1 a.m., but yeah. Got you. Yeah, I would love. I would love to accommodate every single person that wanted a room. You know, we know that Kyle wants his own. You know, it's it's he's two step. He was asking about the white lovers, but really he just wants a front of house room, and then he wants a monitor room, and then he wants an LD. Room. No, he doesn't Again, care about all that. He I'm just wants a front of house room. No, I'm looking out for like you know when I, when I say core crew. That's what it is. Looking out, even, even backline, even backline, the core cats who not. Working the entire day, but working. You know, backline is the fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth band member, so they are going to yeah, exactly. be in the band dressing room no matter what. I mean, I'm in the band dressing room by Even default. Our backline guys on um, Drake set up the band dressing room because they spend so much time in there. They set it up the way they want it, and then the band comes in, and you know, they like it. Whatever. See, that's how to run a crew. I like that. That's kudos <laughs> to you. Well played, Abby. Well played. I like it. It's a good spin. Well, let's get back on track. Thank you, Kyle, for derailing the conversation. Because I was about to say it How's sounds that a derailment? like... How's that a derailment? It's because an important we were talking question. about Abby and her job, and then you started talking about you and well, your needs. Her job constitutes allocating said room. So I if I, I cannot ask that question, that's a derailment. That's disrespectful. Blake. I would Might love be. to. I would love to Might have be. that magical building that has rooms for everyone, and it's usually the ones that have a hotel within walking distance. It's the forum. Room. It's the forum in Englewood that has more room because they have that adjoining connected section. But you section can't use the other room. Yeah, that, you're not even away. allowed in most of you those. It's the only those one rooms. that I can think of that actually has them physically there. Well, not they're saying, not available. No, the well, best the, the best place with empty rooms is Kansas City. Because they have a basketball, an NBA locker room, and an NHL locker room that have no team. So they have so many empty dressing rooms and offices and locker rooms that they're, if you, next time you play Kansas City, I think it's the Sprint Center, you get your own room there, Kyle. Whoever you're on tour with, if they say that there's not enough rooms for you, you tell them they're lying. In Kansas City, you're right. That that's a yeah. Cause they don't have a basketball team. Yeah, that, that arena is huge. You're 100 yes. right. Yeah. So there you go. That's your city. And if they don't there give it, it to is. you there, you tell them. You call them out. And it's really Thank well you, run. Thank you, because actually, next time right, Kyle winds really well up not having a dressing room, we're going to say go to fucking Kansas City. There it is. <laughs> I'm never going to plan about not having a dressing room. It's just a question. <laughs> it's a you fair have, question. You have frozen. It was a great fucking, fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Thank you so much, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> you see how we go off the rails quickly, Abby. This is what we do. It's okay. We jump on the bus. This is how we keep ourselves sane in the pandemic. This is how we keep ourselves connected to each other, to new and different people. We we jump on the bus and we just talk shit and we have a good time and we learn something along the way. We're happy to have you. The question I was going to ask, you were essentially describing the job of an interior designer. 
Is it fair to say that in your role, and I did see in your in your resume, which is 17 pages long, and I threw all the pages on the floor because there's too fucking much to, to, to absorb, but I saw something in there that referenced dressing room design. So is that not fair that you are you're effectively a creative? You are a designer? Ah, uh, y- yes. I mean, I don't like to give that, give myself that title, but yes, we do. Um, for some people, they have actual interior designers design the room and send the furniture out with you, which is a pain because they don't understand you moving the stuff in and out every day. But for some artists, we go in there, um, we've created rooms, they give me a theme and we create the room based on that theme, whatever feeling they want to have, um, be it a whiskey lounge, be it a cigar uh, bar, whatever it is. Um, Christine and I worked together on Prince uh, Musicology when she was catering and I was decorating the dressing room. But my main job was wardrobe on that. I, that was just one of those things where you had to, you know, wear many hats. But she and I would get together. I would decorate his dressing room with a different theme. Like I had Chinese lanterns and umbrellas and different fabrics and stuff hanging around the room. And that night catering would have a Chinese themed dinner prepared for him. So if it wasn't Chinese, we would do Asian, we would do just different things so we could all make it like an experience for him. I mean, yeah, we, I guess you could call me an interior designer as well. Was it all purple? Purple. Yeah, a lot of times so there was a lot of purple in that room, you know, purple, red, white, lots of sequins, lots of saris, lots of, yeah, just lots. Lots. <laughs> lots. Lots of makeup. <laughs> lots and lots, yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, okay. So <laughs> what then would you say are the most important characteristics of people that fill these roles in backstage management and design and, 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 and wardrobe, et cetera. Detail oriented. You have to pay attention to everything that your artist wants. Um, little things like if you notice they don't use a certain thing, for example, one of the artists I worked for um, didn't has apples on his writer. He didn't eat apples for a year. So I took him off the writer and, Two years later, he asked for them. That's like nothing to do with like, I don't know, design part of it. But I just think you have to have a good eye, attention to detail. The artist is going to tell you what they want. And you're going to notice what they need in the rooms. If they, um, if your artist uses an oxygen tank, I think I try to hide it and make the room not about, you know, the oxygen tank being out so everybody can see it. Um, make it kind of like a, a good, I don't know, make it a good place for them to hang out and not be all about medical things or, or whatever it is that they need in the room. So where you say this artist had apples on the writer, but didn't eat them. Were they there because he wanted to make sure that, that you were actually reading the writer? No, they were there because he thought he liked them, but he didn't eat them for two years. I don't know. It's, It's just little things like that, that I try to like take away the excess of, their writers. Um, I try to make sure they have things that they really need, like alcohol. There's a lot of important I think stuff. Things they really need. Got it. 
the alcohol, the um, other pre-show rituals, like, I don't know, having um, special teas and things like that. Here's an example of something that I did to make sure my artist was happy. When Prince did his residency at the Rio in Las Vegas, uh, we went into the room and we tried to figure out what was going to be the best dressing room for him. And there were two rooms that were not connected. So we went in there and I'll, he's like, well, have him blow the wall out. I was like, I don't know if we can do that. And he just gave me one of those looks and raised eyes. I was like, all right, let me try. So within 24 hours, I had engineers and presidents of the casino and I had to have somebody else from the city come in and we blew a wall out in the dressing room and made it a connecting dressing room for him. Um, and he was happy with that. But then we went to see his VIP lounge, which we made it into a, it was actually a storage room with a cage in it. Uh, we went in there, everything was purple. He had a big purple velvet uh, sofa. He was happy with that, but then he noticed there were wheels on the, on the bar because it was a mobile bar. And he was upset with me for the fact that I didn't get the wheels removed from the bar. And I'm like, but dude, I just had him blow a wall out for you within 24 hours and connect rooms but that just wasn't didn't make him happy enough but it's little things i guess that's not even a little thing things like that that you kind of go above and beyond and make uh rooms into bigger rooms you know i also created a storage closet a bedroom and a storage closet for him in the back of his dressing room i turned it into um yeah, it was like a water pump room and we kind of piped and draped everything. And then we put a round bed in there because he requested a round bed, a circular bed. And that was his bedroom if he ever decided he needed to take a nap. It's a little weird request like that. But that's kind of what you have to be prepared to do and make it happen within 24 hours. There it is. Naps. Everybody, <laughs> what he was doing in that bedroom, naps. Um, so I was thinking... Uh -huh. I don't, I have no comment on what was going on I in that just, bedroom. I, I'm just going off the story. So, putting people to sleep. I was proud of myself for finding a, a round bed. And, Amen to that. And then sheets that go on a round bed. I don't know. That's just a weird, Custom. weird. Yeah, but it all had to happen within, um, he, he made the request at three o'clock and we made it happen by the time he got off stage at 11 o'clock that night. Yeah, that purple university is real. It changes <laughs> it, it, it changes your whole look on everything. You you learn how to yeah, that's a good observation. Did you ever so, work for him, Kyle? Mm-hmm. Which years were you there? I was in there in 2012, right before I started Rihanna. We did uh, uh Australian run and uh it was interesting. I mean, I, I I witnessed somebody get fired for making it too dark when he told them to turn the lights off off like <laughs> i want all the lights off and he said you made it too dark well how do you control darkness if you said turn off all the lights i do what you asked me to do and you said you made it too dark i don't get that so i mean he was a different cat so it was, a, I, it, was a, it was an experience i was amazed that in 10 years i never got fired i, I was happy for that you know but yeah i was he was my mentor in the business you will because mm -hmm. I learned so much from him. I learned how to work hard. 
Um, he worked hard too, though. No, I, I can't and, take anything away from him with regards to that. He made some real strange requests from me. Like, oh, that's the dumbest thing you could ever ask to do. And I told him that. He told me you couldn't talk to him like that. He's a man like him, like him, like myself. If you say something stupid, I'm going to tell you it's dumb. Mm-hmm. And I did. And we went back and forth. I went home. I got called back. I went home, got called back. But it was just, it was, it, it was almost like a, uh, a mind fuck per se, just to see if you would really just be a yes man or would you stand on your own feet to explain why you're paying me to be a professional? Yeah. So, but that was my bat. That was my battle with him because I don't just say yes for anything. Now I've never been that person, and but yet in the same breath, you can't challenge him either. So it was it was a it was a strange dynamic, but it was a great experience. Yeah, he would definitely push you until you. I feel like if you learn to speak your opinion and 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 just like this is an example, he had me hang a curtain up in a room. And he wanted me to tie a knot in it to make it hang a certain way. So I did. He's like, not that way. So I tied another knot another way. He's like, no, not like that. So I tried it again. He's like, no, not like that. I'm like, what do you want? There's only so many ways you can tie a knot. He's like, I like the way you did it the first time. I'm like, Jesus Christ. You know, but you just have to be able to talk to him because he will push you and push you and push Mm -hmm. you just to see how far you'll go, just to see how much you'll dance for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real I'm quick. Gonna, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to interject this one thing, but I will never forget. We were in Mississippi. It was like the oh. worst venue in the whole world. I'm not kidding you. I don't even know how we ended up there. I don't know why it was on our routing. I have no idea. We came in in the morning. All the locals were in prison uniforms. They were all inmates. It was a really unusual circumstance. And anyway, and I mean that venue was pretty oh. diabolical. And do you know he stayed in that venue later? than any other venue we were in. It was the most incredible thing. It's because they made him leave early the night before. Exactly. They made him leave early the night before because they said the pipes were flooding and he had to get out of the building. So the next night he stayed. I think we got out of there at 4 a.m. Something like that. But yeah. All right, we'll stop. So (laughs) what year did you stop working with Prince? 2011. What year were you there, Kyle? 12? 12. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just checking. So, <laughs> obviously, I just wanted to verify whether or not you were the one who deprived Kyle of his private room. So, we're just going to keep moving. Hmm. <laughs> obviously, there's a certain level of managing personalities that's involved in your job working so closely with such artists with gigantic egos. I'm, I'm curious, what are the greatest challenges involved in that? And and whether it is the personalities, the artists, or the situations they put you in, or the things that they ask you to do? Oh my gosh. Um, that's a good question. I, I feel like I just got to learn. I had to do what they want you to do. Don't question it. Don't do it a different way. You can make suggestions that you know, maybe you could do it differently, but you, you just have to suck it up a lot of times and, and do some of the, the crazy shit that they come up with. And, and for the most part, I've gotten along with pretty much every artist because I am really laid back. I don't take anything personally. For example, there was an artist 
and this sounds so like silly, but he kept sending me back for different supplements because I couldn't remember what HQ10 or PR, whatever, all the different numbers that he wanted. And he kept doing that. And the, um, the keyboard player, she's like, oh my God, you handled that so well. I'm like, what? She goes, he was just trying to push your buttons. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. You know, it didn't bother me. But there are other artists who were just downright abusive. And when you get into that situation, you have to know it's time for me to go. It's time for me. I'm not going to take that. You know, and you can tell management, hey, this guy's being an asshole. Hey, this guy's asking me to do things that are inappropriate. If you if they don't do anything to fix that situation for you, then you just need to leave. And and I've done that. I've not quit many tours. I've always used the excuse I had another tour or something else that, you know, to that I have to go tend to, but I've never quite said your artist is a dick. But yeah, that has had to happen because we deal so closely with them, you know? And it's not just for like five minutes when they're on stage. It's the whole time that they're backstage and it's several hours of, you know, dealing with the artist and their crazy personality. And their friends. And their friends, yeah. So would you (laughs) say it's fair then to say that it is actually dealing with the personalities and some very specific personalities, that would be a greater challenge than anything that's been asked of you? Uh, yeah, for sure. It definitely, I don't want to name names, but I just have one person, one artist that I work for, I was hired because I didn't do drugs. And the person previous to him would smuggle his drugs to other countries and do whatever it took. You know, she would do the drugs with him and he, hated me because I never had what he needed as far as drugs go and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't smuggle them to other countries for him. I wouldn't do anything. And he was just so abusive that I quit. But he's an abusive person by nature, I think. But yeah, it's just it's the personalities of things like that. Now, every other artist, I would say, has been a, I mean, I love them. I, I have nothing bad to say about anyone but that one particular person. Yeah, dealing, I've, I've dealt with aging artists who tell you one thing and then the next day they forget that they told you that and they yell at you for doing exactly what it was they told you not to do. So it's, okay. it's personality dealing, you know, it, it is it is a big challenge. But for the most part, they're great. So have you ever had to tell an artist no and manage expectations and say we're not going to be able to do that? Yeah, of course. But it's okay. been it. This will be, this is funny and these, it's silly things, but Tommy Lee had a, a Jägermeister machine in his dressing room and he couldn't put it in there one day because it broke. And the way I dealt with him was I gave him like uh, a toy, something to play with. And while he's like distracted with that, I was like, oh, by the way, Tommy, you're not going to get your uh, Jägermeister machine today. And he was all playing with his toy. He's like, okay, that's cool. And then he looked at me, he's like, oh, you're good. Distract me. And now I'm not mad. It's okay. You know, it's silliness like that. It's being sensitive to the delivery, I think. You know, it's not because many artists, not a lot of people are very honest to them. And I think when doing what Abby and I do, there has to be trust and faith and honesty. And they know that if we say something can't be done, there's a reason for it because we will go to the end of the earth to try to do it. Um, So in fairness, you know, sometimes we kind of almost privileged in that sense that when we say, sorry, mate, you know, can't be done, but you do, you find that 
the right little time of day or so it doesn't affect the bigger picture because the most important thing is to deliver so that they can deliver to the audience in their best way. Okay. So, so then what was the most interesting thing ever been asked of you? I had artists who showed up to a venue early and the show kept getting pushed back and pushed back for technical issues. So I guess they just decided to give me a list of things to see if I could come up with it within an hour. So they asked me to, this was in Germany and the Reaper bond and they wanted a U.S. football helmet filled with cottage cheese. And I had to go out and find that. I mean, I know that's like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's really that. where I was looking for, but okay. I mean, well, I didn't I even mean, find cottage cheese, let alone the helmet. <laughs> in, I'm in Germany, I, I substituted with like, I mean, because we're in the Reaper bond, I think I got like a, what are those, a gimp mask and put some cheese in that and kind of substituted. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I already told you things like asking somebody to put a bedroom, ask me to put a bedroom inside a venue, ask me to, um, knock a wall down what are some of the other interesting things one of the guys had a a snake on his rider so i had a snake brought in for him to play with pre-show okay that sounds more interesting than than what was it cottage cheese cottage cheese and a football helmet i mean we could go i don't know there's like so many different things that i don't even know what we're actually able to talk about christine what's your most interesting thing I'll, i'll ask you I mean, one one particular moment I remember was on Duran Duran, and this is not even a big deal, but it was a timing thing. You know, we were on a really on a schedule that required us to get out pretty fast. And between having to produce a meal, a hot meal for one of the band members after the show, when all the gear was gone. And these, these were long ago days where there wasn't microwaves easily accessible or things like that, you know, weren't around. And then I remember espresso machines had just kind of come out and trying, and one of the artists wanted this espresso machine, but it was buried, it was gone away. So I had to produce, and it was at some venue where there were a lot of stairs. And all I do remember, I mean, it's like the first, when anytime somebody says Duran Duran, all I can remember is trying to make that espresso happen. And I think I ended up on a bus somewhere, you know, like half a mile away and then running back with this stupid thing that probably wasn't even hot by God, by the time I got it back. But if I didn't have it, it was the end of the world, but it wasn't something that was expected. And, you know, the things that I think a lot of people don't recognize is you don't have a Starbucks or whatever at every corner, depending on the years that you're talking about, there aren't easy solutions, you know, that whether it's lemonade or fizzy water, there are times that things aren't there and you got to create a substitute (laughs) and deliver in a fashion that, says that you tried and you really meant to be there and it's what it's going to happen. So everything we were talking about was maybe more on the dressing room front. On the wardrobe front, um, one of the things Prince would do, uh, he would give us outfits or something that he would want the band to wear and he would only tell us this maybe sometimes an hour before the show. So we are in Alabama and he told me that he wanted the band to wear ascots. And if you don't know what an ascot is, it's kind of like what Morris Day would wear. Yes, exactly. I think it, it was it was because Morris Day was at the show previous. So we had to make 13 ascots within two hours out of whatever materials, whatever we could pull together to make it happen. And then we the band protested. I said, go talk to Prince. He wants you guys to all wear this. So when they showed up with all of their ascots on, Prince walked out and he saw that everybody had one on and he took his off. 
And they all looked at me like, oh, man. Yep. I'm like, no, nope. he, did, he didn't say you could take yours off. That's right. He's, he said that you have to wear them. It's just little things like that, that you just have to think on your feet and come up with something fast, make it work. And hopefully it doesn't fall apart when he's on stage. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, so let's shift gears. <laughs> let's shift gears. So looking ahead, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Are there any foreseeable changes to the way wardrobe and backstage coordination get handled moving forward in a post-COVID world? And I'm not just saying in terms of washing hands and putting up, you know, uh, you know, sanitizer. I'm saying, like, is there any element of, you know, let's carry less for environmental reasons. Is there any consideration to just the, the approach or a change in the way business is got done moving forward? If you go into the let's carry less for environmental reasons, that was people were trying to do that pre COVID. And I don't think a lot of people paid much attention to that. I mean, even the ones that, that were trying to make a, a smaller footprint, we're still That's carrying. That's COVID happened, trying to carry less. You <laughs> carry more. Um, the, Uncut. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the one change that can happen is you're going to see less VIP rooms, less lounges, less backstage party. Oh. But I seriously. So, so, yes, there you go. You get a crew room. You do, take away core all. Core crew room. Take away the entourage lounge and you get your core crew room. But honestly, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Christine will be able to tell us after Rolling Loud how much backstage is, if there's still all the partying going on. It's going to be wide open. It is, because I've already seen pictures of some artists I've worked for at a birthday party, and there was like 60 of them in the picture without wearing a mask. So I know that they're not going to stop having the massive amounts of people backstage like before. Hopefully, I think it would be harder to get a backstage pass or just random people. But I mean, you know, going to pick the girls out of the audience and bringing them backstage. But other than that, I don't think it's going to change. If anything, it's going to, I mean, we'll just have to bring more stuff, more cleaning supplies, more mm -hmm. uncut cleaning supplies. Yeah. <laughs> more water things. down soap. I got yes. you. It'll just mean we bring more. I don't think we'll bring less. So well-intentions, but otherwise no change back to business as usual. I was listening to, um, I don't know if it was a podcast or just a chat, and Angie Warner said that in order for the, us to go back to touring, it's going to have to go back to the way it was. And I agree with her 100%. I don't think that we can do this and the artist can make money and the artist can be happy without it being the way it was before. I mean, I know I've, I've listened to a lot of people say differently, but honestly, I at least know that some most of the artists I work for are going to just want it the way it was. They're not going to want to give up all the stuff that, you know, that were their luxuries on tour. I'm thinking of one artist in particular, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> okay. Dallas, anything else for you today? No, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think um, part of the dynamic of being backstage or wardrobe is that you so much is confidential and so much is kept, you know, under lock and key for lack of a better word that, um, 
you know, it's it's hard to share because even in our touring families, a lot of people who work on the floor don't recognize what happens in the backstage hallways and why there is so much security or confidentiality again, just, you know, especially now that phones are so easily you know, accessible to record and take photographs of things or video. I mean, I've worked for artists where even if the local crew has made the mistake of taking a photograph of a room that's being broken down during a loadout and they've gotten into a lot of trouble for that. And I think um, it ends up that, you know, we are very kind of close part of the society, but it's also where real money is spent. So, it's a it's a complicated dynamic between you know production managers, tour managers, tour directors, because um, there are real costs associated with it, you know. And if there's alcohol sponsorship, there's a lot of security for um, not just the clothes and the obvious personal effects, but you know if you've got a lot of liquor back there, you have to worry about keeping that secure, and it doesn't pass off to the crew because it's not there for everybody. It really is only there for a specific reason or for a specific use. And if you have to handle VIP lounges and um deal with all those nuances it's 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 a big job and i don't think a lot of people because those particular people that manage it are working all day they don't have time to talk with their fellow roadies about what they're doing so they're kind of not seen and maybe they're heard or there's it's a it's an interesting dynamic between those of us who are back of house and the folks who are seen front of house because sometimes the two never meet but yet as abby was saying you know you often fall into this role as the mom. You know, somebody needs a Band-Aid, they come to you before they go to somewhere else. Somebody needs toothpaste, they come to you before they go somewhere else. Or, oh my gosh, I can't find any deodorant. You're the one supplying it. And it's not because you're pulling out of a stock, it's just that you're clever enough and smart enough to make sure you've got, you're like 7-Eleven, you know, you've got anything and everything somebody could go into the local CVS and find. You've got that and you have supplies of it because that's your job. And, you know, when the best friend shows up and, doesn't have a shower kit you need to make sure you have all those accoutrements that they might expect or want or if management um and it really depends on the dynamic of the artist that you're working for and how close management uh can come out you know some tours some high level artists management's always around and they're part of they're yet another artist in effect for what we do it's another person you have to take care of um with a lot of eyes to dot and t's to cross and i think in a whole a lot of touring people don't recognize that if they're not um if they don't, you know, work for shows that there is that demand some, some musicians don't need a lot of things and aren't managed as the same way, but it's part of the fun, right, Abby? Yeah. I mean, it's hard work. It's a lot. Like when I was prepping dancer, when I was dressing the dancers on, uh, Katy Perry, I had 275 pieces of wardrobe for six dancers, but I didn't, I didn't have time to, make you know go out and make friends half the time i barely had time to eat and i don't think that people know what we do so i don't think that there's like i don't know a lot of questions you can ask about a job that you don't know exactly what it is does that make sense totally <laughs> i feel like yeah. there's like more stuff that i wish we could talk about but we just can't do to ndas but i don't know no, I think it's important. And I think it's an important part of the whole package, you know, just as much as it's critically important to the sound is great and the show is amazing and the lights are working and the video is fantastic. It's also, you know, the artist knows your name. They may not know, they may know who the vendor is. They might know a couple people on the floor, but if they're unhappy about something, you will directly know it. 
if you're back of house and if you work, you know, in wardrobe or if you work as the backstage person, because, you know, you're in the proximity of hearing about it. So you have to learn how to navigate that, which can be challenging sometimes. One of the questions, going back to one of the questions you asked me too, some of the crazier things that people have asked when we were uh, rehearsing for Super Bowl for Prince, we had to have everything ready for that for that rehearsal day on Thursday, everything that they were going to wear. And when he walked out, he saw that the banners were turquoise and orange. So we had to create a um, new outfit for him that was going to match the banners from Thursday to Sunday and have it ready to go. So it's just it's just like thinking and doing things quickly and, and making sure the artist is um, got everything they need. That was the Super Bowl in the rain, right? Super Bowl in the rain, yes. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was one of the yeah highlights of my career for sure. Had that and dressing mm-hmm. left shark. <laughs> that was my other Super Bowl thing. That's right. <laughs> dressing left shark. You who knew that? Failed who? me out that little nightmare I had going oh, on. Oh yeah, because you were with uh, <laughs> I had Kanye, and Kanye oh. the night before. Yeah, so on my day off from doing the Super Bowl, I went and found Christine and helped her make everything, all of her dressing rooms ready for Kanye. In the mud. In the mud. It was horrible. Horrible. Horrible everything. (laughs) And yet you missed it. Of course. course. The best ever. (laughs) Give me a nasty field with stomping through the mud any day of the week. Yes. And shoving a guy up the butt of a shark costume in 30 seconds, as you know. The highlights of your life. That's right. <laughs> exactly. There it is. There it is. Kyle, anything else from you today, my friend? I think it's been a balanced conversation talking about a little Purple University and uh, amongst other things, you know, the core crew lounge and such. So I think I'm going to leave it there. And uh, as always, shoot straight. Well, Abby, we always do a series of quick hits before we wrap with our guests. Four questions we ask of everyone on the show. First up, your first tour. What was it? Creed. Yeah. We established that one. one. Yeah. (laughs) No place to go but up. Prince was my my second one, and it came directly from Creed. The opening act tour manager met Takumi and... He asked him if he knew of a good production assistant. He said, nope, I know a good wardrobe girl, though. And he um, told Takumi, and Takumi called me, and that was my second job. And I figured, you know, I was new to touring, but everybody had been fired by Prince, so why not give it a try? I like that. I like that. Well, you've shared a couple highlights with us, but our next question is a career highlight. Tell us something. There's so many of them. I would... Just my 10 years with Prince was just like, people talk about bucket lists. It was above a bucket list because I couldn't have imagined all the things that I did with him. I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, and that was just a breathtaking experience. Um, Super Bowl with him. And just some of the other experiences of, of all the different huge artists that would come and perform with him just at a moment's notice. It was, yeah. Just Prince in general. He is my career highlight. And he, you know, I will miss him every day that he's been gone because he was just a huge part of my life. I wish I had something better. 
No, no, that's I mean, good. So second career. Can I second career highlight? Please, yes. Go the first for time it. I saw Michael Jackson and the first time I met Michael Jackson. First time I saw him, I had to get it out of my system. He was in rehearsing with the dancers and I peeked around the corner and I looked at him and I went back around the corner and acted like a little girl and got it out of my system. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's Michael Jackson. And then I went back around and looked at him, got it out of my system. And then I could look at him and talk to him and be like, yes, Mr. Jackson, what can I do for you? But the first time I was actually introduced to him, he had two dressing rooms in the rehearsal space, one on the uh, ground floor, one on the second floor. And there were ants that had made their way from a plant on the other side of the room, all the way across the room, up his uh, catering table and covered a honey bear. So in the room, they said, Mr. Jackson's on his way. I'm in the room killing the ants with my shoe. And then I hear his security guard right behind me. And he's like, Abby, Mr. Jackson's here. I was like, um, I was like, there's ants all over the room. He can't come in the room. There's ants all over the room. So I hear, he walks around the corner. He's like, Mr. Jackson, Abby says there's ants. You can't come in the room. And Michael's like, ants? I want to see the ants. And I'm in there just like, whack, killing them with my shoe. I was like, oh, shit. So I stand up, put my shoe on. And he's like, hi, I'm Michael. I was like, hi, Mr. Jackson, I'm Abby. The ants are over there. I ran out of the room as fast as I could. I was like, yeah. Impressive. But why would he want to see the ants? It's just the way he was. He was just like the little things in life, it seemed. Why not? (laughs) Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Next question. If there is any one thing about the business you'd like to see us doing better moving forward? What is it? Treating the crew better. And as I, 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 and as the person who takes away the crew room, I know that sounds like contradictory, but you know, not working the crew like so many days in a row and so many long hours and not cutting hotel rooms. Like if you know that, you worked a long night and you're going to get to the next city at 8 a.m. by the hotel room the night before so people can go to bed and not sit on a bus until 3 p.m. You know, just treat them a little bit better than than we have been. Number one answer we've heard and, from the and, overwhelming majority of our guests. I like that. I, I, and I know giving a crew room to everybody would probably be a big start, but it ain't going to happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. There it is. Kyle asked. There's unless, the answer. It unless you're in Kansas happen. City. Unless you're in Kansas City, then you can have your room, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I feel like that's uh, this is the start of something amazing. One night in Kansas City. There it is. Okay. Last but not least, any shout outs? Oh my gosh. Uh, Andrew Weiss gave me my start in the business. He was my first tour manager. He was a hard ass. And you know what? He complained to me years later. I'm not complaining. I'm sorry. He kind of half-ass apologized to me. He's like, I'm surprised you still talk to me. I was kind of mean back then. I was like, you were. But you know what? You taught me how to pay attention and do my job right and don't fuck up. Because if I did, I, I would hear it the next day. And then there's so many people that I have to thank. Tony Villanueva. Not thank, but... Tony Villanueva is the hardest working man in wardrobe. And I don't think many people know him. Do you guys know who he is? I know the name, but I don't know. He's Madonna's dresser. And he's another one that taught me a lot about 
taking care of the artist and doing wardrobe. Lisa Nishimura is his dresser as well. And I mean, I guess I should include my husband. <laughs> He's always been there for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Abby, you've been a fantastic guest. I'm sorry. One, keep going. No, no, no. I didn't have anything else. That's it. <laughs> well, we've enjoyed having you on the bus with us today. Thank you for taking a ride. Sister Dallas, anything else from you? Just hang in there, fellow brothers and sisters, because the light is there. It's not fully bright, but it's there, and we will have shows back, like Kyle says. And Brother Hamilton. Kyle, I think you're going to have Coachella. Pop-up Cella is in the, is in the Red Horizon. We will help Coachella. will pop. And Nashville is fully open tomorrow. Speaking of pop, I think I might go to the range and put a few down range and make those pop, too. <laughs> or I should go to the driving range and use my driver. What do you think? Driving range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think driving range for sure. But you rich. my shout out. No, I'm not rich. I just, you know. You should make a change. <laughs> I, you know, frugalities. And of course, you know, when I'm able to make a little change, you know, and miss out on nice lunches with uh, Brother Walt here. You know, I can use monies to use for other things. Well, not for much longer, because my shout out today is to you, Brother (laughs) Hamilton. Today's episode was one for the books, and I am proud to say we have it on tape. We have it on record. You owe two meals and two bottles of the 42 to Brother Banks and I, and you gave us some real great fodder with your white glover room in Kansas City. That one is not going away anytime soon. So I want to thank Abby. I want to thank Sister Dallas. I want to thank Brother Hamilton. I want to thank Tech Support and all our listeners out there. Another one in the can. We thank you all and we wish you good night. Hey, this is Tech Support. Want to make sure you never miss the newest from Hustle Like You Broke? Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HLUB Podcast. And sign up for our mailing list by going to hustlelikeyoubroke.com slash join. You'll get updates about new episodes, bonus content, exclusive offers, and information on how to become a part of the music industry. Thanks for listening.